Good to have you back on a Monday afternoon. Uh, Sports talk ready to go. Adrian brought us, took care of business on Friday. Thank you very much. You were live at Sun Bowl for the spring game and the garage sale. Was there any items left at the garage sale when they kicked off at 6 o'clock? Yes, Steve. They had uh, very minimal stuff out there, but they had some cross-country gear, uh, sizes 3X, 4X. They only opened for an hour from 5 to 6 leading up to the spring showcase. And, yeah, it was very limited quantity because everybody snatched everything up earlier in the day. Oh, I can imagine, including you. That's right. You did good on Friday. Yep. uh, I, I ended up taking home for myself a polo, a long sleeve shirt, and got a bunch of things for some friends. I had had a long shopping list, Steve, so I was like Santa. Uh, And yeah, it was like Christmas in April last Friday as as people were just uh, out there for for hours waiting for the spring garage sale at the UTEP football uh, stadium. No, that included me as well because you picked up that um, El Paso Strong blue shirt. I thought you were going to get a t-shirt for yourself. I'm surprised you didn't pick that Nike shirt up. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, wanted I, I really just wanted a polo I wanted a long sleeve shirt and I wanted a hat. Uh, the hat that I bought for myself has already been taken. Okay. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm down to two things. Uh, two. What things. do you have left from all the stuff you bought? What's what's left? I just have the polo and I just have a long sleeve shirt. That's it for myself. Yes. What was the long sleeve you got yourself? I got a UTEP football, just dry Nike dry fit. Like oh, that sleeve. orange one. Yeah, that was yeah. a cool shirt. Yeah, I kept that one for myself. I was like, I'm going to keep this one for you know basketball or whenever, like gym use and all that kind of stuff. I like that. So good for you. How'd the team look on Friday when it was all said and done? Yeah, spring showcase was very interesting. I mean, Steve, they've gone away from the spring game, so we can't call it that. It's a spring practice. It really is. Yeah. And uh, I think this was the first time where I really saw them go away from the game format uh, completely. And then, you know, it was it was really interesting because it was our first time watching the wideouts. I loved uh, Kelly Arcari. That's the best way I can pronounce that. It's probably butchering it right there. Uh, really like Tyron Smith. Those are the two wide receivers that stood out to me. Uh, as far as the other newcomers, like the McNamara brothers, they're clearly undersized, but they can play. They've got talent on, uh, you know, both. You can see it. Yes. Jake is a solid thrower. Uh, Kyle has hands, so you like what you're getting from both those guys. On the defensive line, number zero, Maurice Mo Westmoreland. Oh, man, that guy's a, a monster. I mean, I know you have shake and bake on both edges to start things off for the minors, but that guy could contend for playing time. And then to close things out, Steve, they had, uh, you know, celebrities Celebrities were in the house. You know, Aaron Jones, Alvin Jones were, were there. Uh, they were excited at the UTEP Football Spring Showcase. Nice. Uh, Nick Usher was out there as well. So a lot of former minors coming out as well uh, and uh, and congratulating the miners on a good spring. Sounds like fun, man. It sounds like a good time. Did Nick Needham show up? Nick Needham was not there. I, I don't know where he's at right now, if he's training or, or what he's doing, but uh, those were the only two uh, former miners I saw right there in, in, as far as playing pro football in Aaron and Alvin Jones and then some other uh, you know familiar names uh, who played it for UTEP uh, down the line. Good. So that's uh, part of uh, Friday's show, and uh, we've, we've got other stuff to talk about besides that on Friday. And, and by the way, congratulations to Steve on Wrestler for winning our NCAA Million Dollar Bracket Challenge. Didn't win the million bucks, but he won a grand for two weeks in a row thanks to our sponsors. Um, 915 Tours, a division of Classic Elegance Coaches, uh, bringing it to us today. And a little photo op. Steve Unrestle looked pretty happy as he was getting ready to pose for his photo. Yeah, he says he's going to put it in the man cave. Uh, he's a Vikings fan, but now this is back-to-back years for Steve. Uh, is he is he eliminated for contention uh, to try to make it a three-peat, Steve? That's my big question. No! Because uh, he won it last year. He won it this year. Uh, what about next year? Of course he's eligible. I don't, we don't 
take it away from people because they win. You know what? The message is to everybody else, up your game. Take it away from him. That's what I say. Now, if Steve Unresser wants to win it for the next 30 years in a row, good for him. He wins an extra 30 grand cash. That's fine. But somebody needs to take that away from him. No, we're not banning a, a listener from playing in a contest because he's too good. Forget that. Now, if Steve was smart, he would probably move to Vegas and start betting professionally because, you know, this $1,000 here is chump change compared to what he could win in Vegas, which brings me to my next point. We're going to Vegas. That's right. Sports Talk will be live for the first time ever from the NFL Draft on Thursday the 28th and Friday the 29th of April. Got it confirmed today. I didn't want to mention anything until we had the NFL bless off on it, and they finally did. So... Airfare Hotel is booked. We're going. We're broadcasting. The FOSS will be there as well, which is going to be crazy, insane. And uh, all I can tell you is this. When we were ready to go with this, we made some phone calls and already started lining up sponsors. So um, we've got Expert HVAC and Refrigeration on board. Palo Verde Homes on board as well. We uh, and, and we're not just done there. Longhorn Distributing on board. Clean water of El Paso on board. And Adrian, that's just getting started. Most definitely. I mean, we just mentioned 915 Tours. They're going to be back. They'll help us out for this NFL draft experience. And then one of our favorites, Taco Avocado, coming in clutch, helping us out for the 2022 NFL draft. My first time in Vegas. I can't wait. Oh, my God. All right, now listen. Um, I haven't been to Vegas in probably a decade, okay, if not more. I forget the last time I was in Vegas. It's been a while. You have not been to Vegas ever. I'm a married man, happily married, 16 plus years. You are engaged. I will not take you to a gentleman's club in Vegas because usually that's where you go for bachelor parties and things like that. We will stay away from those. Thank you. I'm glad we're staying away from those. We could stay at the casinos. There's a lot of other things we could do. We can catch a Knights game. The Golden Knights are out there for are they, Vegas. Are they there that weekend? Are they Maybe. Playing? Playoffs time. How about around the uh, Vegas corner? 51s? There you go. The good, another good point right there. We can catch some sports. Yeah, I'm with right. you on this. Are you a big gambler? Um, No, I'm not a big gambler at all. I'm not either. So that, do you like to eat? Well, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to go back on it and say when in Rome because I've never been to Vegas. So let's try it out. Let's let's try out some gambling. On my, that's at least what I'm saying to myself. Uh, and I love to eat. Yes. What do you play? What do you like? What are your games? Um. Well, I haven't been too many. I mean, I've when you go to a to, casino, what do you play? Uh, like roulette or like blackjack or something like right, that. Just something th- easy. You know, I'm not. I'm not trying. I'm not a gambler, so I'm just trying to do stuff easy. Easy stuff. Do you throw craps? Yes, yes. Now, remember, that's, you can win fast and you can lose fast. That's that. true, yeah. So, so that could be a one and done. That, that, that'll be a, kind of my motto for this trip. Do you want to gamble to try to win your wedding, or are you afraid that if you get too deep in a hole, you might not reach your wedding? So put the wedding fund all on black, and let's just uh, oh let's my get it God, going. You might, not, you might not get to your wedding date. You have to try to explain that one to Alyssa when she asks, what the heck just happened to you? Or it could be the best wedding date ever. Could right be. There. That's the beauty of gambling, right? That is the beauty. Very funny. All right, look. We're broadcasting live. We're going to be um, at Caesars, where's the NFL media headquarters, Thursday, Friday. We're going to have lots of interviews, lots of guests. We're going to put Foss to work. He's got all the hookups, knows everybody out there, as you might expect. So we are expecting a blockbuster extravaganza of uh, a pair of two-and-a-half-hour broadcasts live from the NFL Draft on April the 28th and the 29th. Excited about that. Excited about the opportunity to be out there.
Steve, this is like, you know, I I love the draft. I think ever, ever since I was a kid, I would go and, you know, pick up mock drafts. And now I do my own mock drafts and stuff like that. So this is real f- uh, full circle for me, man. I love the NFL draft. I cannot wait to head out to Vegas later this month to do this. I have never covered an NFL event in all my years, okay? Oh. The NFL was the one league that we couldn't get into for whatever reason. Um, we broadcasted Vegas forever for bo- for boxing. Um, we've done baseball shows live. We've done, I think, basketball broadcasts live. Uh, but the NFL, big the, the big NFL events have always been. You know, we've never done a Super Bowl. We've never done Radio Row. Hoping that this NFL draft will open the doors to Radio Row for next year's Super Bowl. Oh, man, yes. Let's speak it into existence. There's so many great things in the NFL calendar, not just the NFL draft, also the combine. Uh, you know, you're like you said, uh, Super Bowl week, getting ready on Radio Row. There's a lot of things that we could be out there and doing. So, yeah, hopefully this is the first of many for uh, NFL events and 600 ESPN El Paso. Excited about it. It should be a lot of fun as uh, we get going uh, later in the month. We have plenty to talk about for that. And uh, it and, – as soon as I told Foss that it was approved, it was official, he called me and he was like a kid at a candy store. He was so excited. By the way, I joined Foss yesterday on his radio show from ESPN San Antonio for the first hour. Now listen to this, folks. Went to Vega, went to Austin Friday, right? Landed Friday afternoon while Adrian was doing the show at the Sun Bowl. I was there. Um, got in late afternoon and I was supposed to um, get a, a Turo rento rental because um you know the rental cars were expensive and i've heard turo is amazing so i booked it everything was good to go picked the car up got the ride as soon as i get into the car won't start a bunch of lights flicker clicking sounds and i was like "Uh uh-oh this doesn't look good so tried a couple of other techniques didn't work nothing worked had to uh, contact the uh, turo uh, person that uh, her car is dead on arrival and she's like did you put it back i go I never took it out. Couldn't get the car started. Am I going to put it back? Car's exactly where I was when I got into it. So anyway, first experience for Turo, not a good one. But I'll just chalk it up to bad luck. Didn't happen. The good news was, thanks to uh, the Foss and my buddy Jerome, who I went to college with and lives out in San Antonio, uh, rides were not difficult to get those first couple of days. Only had to take a couple of Ubers. Um, went to watch the Chihuahuas get smoked on Friday night at the Dell Diamond. By the way, Dell Diamond for a 22-year-old ballpark is a terrific facility. Terrific. Thought there'd be more people there on a Friday. I was a little disappointed in the crowds. They weren't as big as I was expecting, but they've kept it up well. Has all the bells and whistles you would want. It was one of the early, really nice ballparks from the early 2000s when they built it. The, um, the biggest thing is it's in Round Rock. It's not in downtown Austin. So there's something to say about having a downtown ballpark versus being out in the middle of the suburbs like Round Rock. So, you know, it was nice. I liked it. By the way, 15 bucks to park. Wow. Man, it's pricey. It is. Yes, it's pricey. 100%. Yeah. 15 bucks. Yeah, that's that's a lot. And is it is it right underneath, like close by parking, that kind of thing? Like I'm just thinking Southwest University Park. They have a huge lot. They have a huge lot. It's like a Cohen Stadium lot. Okay, got it. Okay. So plenty of like you're you're not that far away, but you're not exactly right next to the ballpark either. So, um, but it was fine. I was hoping the Chihuahuas were going to play better. They didn't. So, left at nine thirty. Went to go eat at the Salt Lick, right next door to the ballpark. We walk in. Salt Lick closes at nine. Oh, no. 
So then decide, all right, my buddy's got uh, you know a place he used to live in Austin years ago. We go there, sushi restaurant he swears by. We get there at 10.04, closed at 10 o'clock. Man. So we were having a hard time getting food on uh, Friday night. Hard time. What was it? Just a, just a drive through type of thing at the end? We ended up with a pizza brewery. It wasn't bad, but it okay. wasn't what we were hoping for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, not everything we wanted. That was Friday. Played Saturday at um, with um, the El Paso Diablitos against the uh, formerly team known as the Austin Playboys and now the Texas Playboys uh, out uh, at a gorgeous field that if you've never seen this, because, again, not many people are a part of, um, you know, uh, they, they don't play Sandlot baseball. But what they've done out in Austin is really incredible. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. Uh, they've done a terrific job, and uh, it is a, a gorgeous field. So it is all the way out in East Austin, and it is called The Long Time. And it is almost as if Field of Dreams met like a carnival-like atmosphere. It is phenomenal. So we went out there. There was a doubleheader. We played at 3 Led 3-0 after 3, had a 4-2 lead after 4. We played 8 innings, couldn't hold them. Playboys ended up uh, beating us, I think it was like 10-4. to And it was a shame because we had them. We just couldn't uh, couldn't put them away. How was your stat line? How'd you do? So I played 7 of 8 innings at first base and manned the position well, including we uh, picked a guy off, got him in a pickle, and threw him out with a runner on third. The runner on third didn't score, held him at third, got the guy from first out at second, got out of the inning. It was nice. beautiful, okay. perfectly executed. Didn't have any errors, fielded fine, probably had about six, seven, eight putouts. That was good. Batting-wise, we batted all 17 that showed up. So there's Sandlot for you. Uh, so I only got to the play twice, popped out my first time, lined a uh, long single down the left field line my second time up. Okay, one, so, one for two. I like happy it. With that. I like it. Would I have liked to have had more at-bats? Absolutely. Am I complaining? Heck no. Happy I played that much. That was good. So if we trim down the roster in the future, we could see uh, a better batting average from Steve Kaplowitz. Well, I'm so far, I'm five for seven in the three games I've played. I like that on base percentage and batting average right there. And I haven't struck out, nice. so that's also okay. been pretty good too. Okay, so your your splits are are real nice. Yeah, they are. My uh, my OPS and uh, my my hard hit rate's not bad at all. But uh, again, nah, you don't want to pare down the roster because you know what? If you spend all that money going to Austin. Getting that bat. Everybody should hit, right? Everybody should. I'm with you on that. We all we all took the trip. You either drove ten hours or you flew an hour and a half and spent a ton of money on rental and everything else. So if you make that trip to Austin, you should play. And that's what they did. And good for them. Martin Morgadis and company did a great job handling the roster. Had a lot of fun, met a lot of people, had a great time. I'm glad. I'm glad you got a chance to do this. There should be more events like this. You should have a Sandlot tour across Texas, Steve, and then mm. do the San Antonio trip, the Houston, everything like that. I also hit Jew Boy Burgers for the first time. That is our pal Morris Piddle, who's from El Paso, moved out to Austin years ago, uh, has his own advertising agency, started a food truck. Next thing you know, best hamburgers in all of Austin. It's been voted. Now he's got a brick and mortar and had a chance to go out there, see, uh, see Morris, and enjoy a delicious hamburger. Uh, that was also before the game on Saturday. I didn't know he was from El Paso. Oh, yeah, That is such a great story Grew right up there. with Morris. No way. Absolutely. How long has he been out there? Uh, probably five, six years now. And he's already established like that. Wow. Unbelievable. The place is great. Big line, terrific food, just awesome. And then at the airport flying back yesterday, I got my Salt Lake fix and got a uh, two-meat two combo, so I was happy. There you go. So it worked out good. Still got the Salt Lake. Airport versus the actual location, which is fine. 
and uh, ended up beating really well on this trip. So that was great. And uh, I'm looking forward. I want to get uh, Jack, who founded the uh, Texas Playboys on the show, hopefully this week, and talk a little bit about how he's turned Sandlot baseball into a really big thing out there in Austin. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. That'd be a great conversation to have. They had a huge write-up on him on Sports Illustrated a couple of months back. Oh, nice. I got to check that out. So that will be really cool. So anyway. Um, Scotty Scheffler was unbelievable. When we come back, we want to talk about the most dominant performance at Augusta. Speaking of Scheffler, we've got Fred Albers landing in El Paso in about 45 minutes, and he's going to join us live at 5. And then uh, John Conniff from Mad Friars is going to join us at 6. Our phone number, 915-505-6009. That is 915-505-6009. Get you right on in and through to the program today. You can also tweet us, 600 ESPN El Paso. So, man, we got a lot to talk about today, a lot to cover. Let's do it right. Charlie One standing by. First traffic update of the afternoon is next. All right. As we uh, get going here on the Monday edition of Sports Talk, Scotty Scheffler, what a performance. You know, I was looking to see, because he played from 2014 to 2018 at the University of Texas, never played in the Sun Bowl Golf Invitational, the uh, the All-American. Never did that. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay. I thought he would have, but he never played in that. So he's never been to El Paso in that tournament. A bunch of his teammates were in those early years, but not him. He was amazing. And it's a good thing he had a five-stroke lead, because can you imagine going through four days of killing it at Augusta National, and your gimme putt on 18 is the one you can't sink to finish it off? Yeah, that's so funny. It felt like he was on that 18 green forever, Steve. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was a product of uh, his, you know, the guy he was paired up with and Cameron Smith, who really crumbled yesterday. I mean, he was plus one in round four, went in uh, at six under. So he was in contention to try to flirt with, you know, trying to run with uh, Scheffler. But no, he couldn't do it. He fell apart at the 12th hole. And uh, that's when Scotty Scheffler took over. I mean, Rory was already done. uh, So his seven under was, you know, irrelevant at that point point eight under for the day yesterday what a day for Rory and uh same with Colin Morikawa but Scotty Scheffler he was the story of it and uh rightfully so he's been the best golfer for the past three months and he's been killing it on all these different uh events going on when Rory and Morikawa both hold out from the sand on 18 on consecutive uh shots that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen yeah it was so cool I mean the the crowd was still chanting Rory and then Colin hits it in uh off out of the sand into the hole I love that moment well, and they hit him completely differently. One hit it on a line, that was Marakawa. And then when you looked at what Rory did, he used the green to basically come back after he was able to get that incredible roll. It was fascinating to see how these guys both did it differently and ended up with the same result. Yeah, for Rory, his back was basically facing the pin. So he he really dialed that up, and uh, he knows those greens so well. And, and by the way, the fans love Rory, so they yeah. were going insane for him. And I love the fact that both Rory and Colin were, like, cheering each other on and super proud, uh, you know, happy for for each other for making that big shot. 26 passed. If you want to talk about the Masters, Tiger uh, playing great the first two rounds but really struggling on day three and four, we can do that with you. Still a win that Tiger got through four rounds at Augusta National. No doubt about that. 
Yeah, it was emotional too when he was walking up after uh, 18 and he was uh, embraced by different people. Yeah. It was it just got emotional just thinking, wow, you know, this this time a year ago, you didn't know if he'd even play golf again and let alone compete and now he's done it. He's done it at the biggest stage of them all. It's a cool story. So we definitely love to talk about that with you. Let's go to the phones right now as we get started. 505-6009 here on Sports Talk. That's 505-6009. Lance is first up. Lance, welcome aboard. What's going on, man? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Doing, doing well, Lance. How about yourself? I'm great. Thank you so much. I think it's awesome that, you know, we saw that finish yesterday. So don't press your luck in Vegas on the both of you guys hitting shots out of the sand from that distance. Yeah, that's not going to happen, Lance. No worries about that. So. But I appreciate the advice. That's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, but there's uh, some good restaurants out there and, uh, that's I'm not a gambling guy. I don't do that stuff. That's for other people. But uh, take take part in it and enjoy the experience. It's great. I enjoy the show. You guys do an amazing job. I appreciate it. And it's part of my afternoon drive home. Oh, we appreciate so, that. Now, tell me, what is your number one favorite? What do you love the best? What's your favorite restaurant in all of Vegas? Um, The... Gosh, the buffet at Caesars is just absolutely amazing. Uh-huh. It's not. It's. Um, I, I'm going to butcher the name. I apologize, but um, it's it's the uh, Box Chanel. Okay, in, so in, in at Caesars. Yeah, it's actually at Caesars. Oh, that's cool. So it's it's awesome, and uh, you know you just go in there and. But they've got, like, gourmet food. It's great. But, yeah, it's an interesting weekend and uh, with, the, with, the, with the golf stuff. And, you know, it's good stuff, I guess. Well, I'll tell you this, Lance. Um, the golf was fun. Everybody seems to root for Scheffler. They love him. They love how, you know, as, as you saw Rory make that shot and get the seven under, nothing really phased Scotty. Nothing. He was just playing his game, doing it, making big shot after big shot. And I think when he was struggling early and then hit the pin on that on that bunker save. I think that was on either three or four. That, that seemed was to, on three. Yep, it settled him down, and after that, he was just rolling. It was almost like he needed that just to get the nerves out. You know, it was funny yesterday, Steve. Um, you know, I've been calling in the show on and off for almost 30 years, but um, at one point in Chihuahua's game in the morning, um, it was two out with two on, and uh, the lead was 2 nothing Round Rock. And then I'll give you one guess what the pitch count was. It was, uh, so I say it was two outs. What inning was it? Uh, second inning. Second inning. Pitch two count, outs. two outs. Uh, let me think here. For the, you're talking Round about for the, for the Chihuahua's start or for Round Rock's pitcher? Round Rock's, uh, Round Rock's pitcher. Run Rock is up two nothing. Two outs, second inning. I'll say, I'll say something ridiculous and obscene, like fourteen pitches. Uh, no, not his pitch count. Uh, the the count like balls and strikes. Oh, sorry, that count. Oh, tell me what was it? Two and two. So that was twos across the board. Twos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty and good. Scheffler. Scheffler doubles 18, and I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's 
way too many twos in my life right now. <laughs> oh, man, that's exactly right. The only thing better would have been if it was a 2-2 game in the second inning with a 2-2 count and two outs, right? That's exactly what it was. Oh, so it was 2-2. It wasn't just 2 nothing. It was 2-all. No, no, no. Well, it wasn't 2-2. Yes, I stand corrected. I got you. I got you. But still, 2 nothing. Yeah. No, second I, inning, two outs, two and two. Uh, that's pretty crazy. That's a lot of twos. That's when you know you need to. Yeah. Uh, that's when you need to do something about those twos. So hopefully, Hags uh, when he goes to Vegas, maybe he'll throw something on a two next time, and he'll be good to go. We'll see. Well, when you guys get up there to Vegas, go on the giant Ferris wheel, take some romantic photos for everybody. Yeah, that's just what uh, Adrian and I need to do for our spouses, uh, his fiance and my wife. Take a couple of really close romantic shots. That's beautiful. I like that, Lance. Good, <laughs> good advice. And hey, thanks for calling in today. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys. Take care and be safe. You too. Thirty-one past. The sports talk continues. All right, here he is, my BFF, uh, the one and only Adrian Broadus, standing by with this bottom of the hour sports center update. Good job, Adrian. You failed to mention one story. I just saw this. Fox is hoping to unveil a glowing football that lights up around the goal line for its USFL broadcasts. Wow. Okay, okay. I like this. I like where this is going. I don't know. That's really weird. No, I'm okay with this because we need the gimmicks for the USFL and the XFL. We need all the gimmicks and the weird things just to get our attention, and then we can see whether or not we like it on a football field and then make that deductive reasoning. So I'm okay. Have you ever seen the glow puck when Fox was doing hockey games in the 90s? No, I haven't. I'm going to look this up right now. Oh yeah, they had a puck that glowed. It's like a it like it like they called it fox tracks, but it kind of like lit up. So it was interesting and weird at the same time. So this is like neon, like neon green. It looks like. Well, Daryl Moose Johnston is now the USFL executive vice president of football operations. So they're throwing everybody in the front office, huh? They are. That's right. And this is supposed to be some kind of glow ball. So it glows when it reaches the goal line. So then the reason is apparently during game telecasts, viewers cannot see the ball under the pile of bodies at the goal line. So this is to try and alleviate that issue to make it easier for fans to see the ball as they're getting ready to go into the end zone in the USFL. Okay, I actually just saw the price tag, and I'm going to I'm gonna go back, I'm going to backtrack on this, and I'm going to say this is a, in, a weird to interesting idea because it's $150 million of a commitment that they need to do with this uh, glowing football. What? I, over three years that they're going to be integrating this? Uh, yeah, this is a, a hefty investment right here. Now, are you saying that the—so here's my question, okay? Will the ball actually glow, or is it one of these things that will only glow on television, not in the game itself? That's a good point because now if it glue if it glows in person, it's interesting because as soon as they cross that the, that goal line, it becomes like the golden football right there, and you as a player, it it, it becomes kind of cool if you can kind of interact with it that way. Uh, but if it's only TV, then I, I don't really like that right there because then then you're taken away from people who are there, and it, it's like it, it's kind of like just special effects. It's kind of like the Nickelodeon broadcast, and no knock against the Nickelodeon broadcast when they do those NFL games. Well, listen, if you're sp- Spending $150 million on technology, I'm sure the ball's going to glow. It's not like it's just going to be something that has special effects uh, on television. Chances are you're figuring out a way to develop a glowing football. 
Yeah, that's right. And I, I feel like, you know, I this is a way that you can actually also, like if you're a ref, you can indicate whether or not the player crossed the, the goal line. So I could see why it could be even helpful at times, even for the viewer who's watching at home to see if their player crossed the end zone and, and the football, you know, m- made it to the end zone and, and you scored a touchdown. So I could see how it could be helpful. But yeah, I'm curious to see how this is uh, rolled out and uh, what kind of, uh, you know, you know, uh, like what, what kind of different services they use with this football? Yeah. Um, now, apparently, the football is going to have a sensor in it, and that sensor is going to detect when the ball reaches the goal line. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Now that now I can kind of picture it. Uh, as soon as they cross the the goal line, they can actually glow. That football can actually glow, and then they can celebrate as if they scored a touchdown. That's right. That is right. Now that would be wild, man. I mean. You know, I would think that that ball has to, you know, it. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's probably going to be something you, you'll be able to see. And you know what's going to really be cool? Night games when that ball glows. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, and if somebody scores a touchdown, you can actually use those strobe lights in the actual stadium so you can still see the ball like shine. That would be kind of cool. But again, going back to that price tag, Steve, in leagues that are not the NFL, I'm very wary as far as spending something like $150 million on a glowing football, and we don't really know whether or not the uh, USFL is going to be here next year, the following year, you know, the, how, what kind of timeline it is, because most of these, most of these alternate leagues feel very short lived when they're you know when they kind of get off the ground yeah exactly right exactly right 38 past the hour i mean listen they're gonna need as many gimmicks as they can get and fox owns the league so you might as well just uh, come up with some cool ideas to try to uh, carve your own niche into the football audience right yeah if fox sports has uh, the blank check then let them write it let them write that 150 dollar uh, 150 million dollar check and uh get these glowing footballs absolutely absolutely 38 past the hour as sports talk continues 880 5763, our old number. Our new number is now 915 505 6009. Get you through to the show. That's 915 505 6009. Did you slip on Friday yes. at all? Yeah, and I was like trying to tell uh, Voice of the Miners, John Teicher, our new number. And I, I'm like over here telling him 8805763. So, yes, I messed up uh, probably multiple times on Friday, more oh. than I can even recognize. But I threw in a couple 505 600 in the hanging nine. Good. Attaboy. That's good to hear. 39 pass. We'll come back and we will wrap up our number one. Still to come, Fred Albers. More of your phone calls, 505-6009 and KVIA News. It's next right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Continue here on Sports Talk. Still to come, John Conniff from Mad Friars at the top of our 6 o'clock hour. Fred Albers. Assuming his flight is on time, which it probably should. Get him on in 15 minutes. Our telephone number right now is 915-505-6009. That's 505-6009. Getting you right on in and through to the program. So much to talk about. A lot of good storylines. Definitely want to get to all of that. So we invite you. Call into the show and talk about any of the uh, topics that we've uh, discussed so far. Love the recommendations for Vegas. Thank you very much for that. And I'm sure a lot more coming up. But first, let's go to Minor Eddie Mack. He joins us next. 46 past. The sports talk continues. Minor Eddie Mack, how are you? Pretty good. How about you all? 
Hey, we're doing well. Thanks for the call. Good. Well, I wanted to weigh in on, I've had a little bit of time to think about Suli Boom and about Katia. So I kind of came down to a philosophical little difference here, and I wanted you guys to get your opinion on it based okay. on what I, what I thought. First of all, I put myself into their mind, and I said, okay, why are they leaving? Here was one of the things that came up. I said, what is the probability that either one of them or both of them would make the NCAA tournament next year? In Suli's case, I figured he had a higher probability of doing that with the men's program than Katia did. When I looked at her situation, I said, well, the team really imploded towards the end of the year. And then they also lost one of their top scorers. So for me, that was going to be a much tougher road. But the problem that I have is when you look at Conference USA and you look at the relationship that they have with the NCAA and you look at the fact that the NCAA gave the Mountain West four uh, teams this year in the tournament and we only got one, I really feel like that's a negative. But is is that really a neg- is that really the the point here or is the point is they don't really think that they're even going to have a chance to make the tournament or is it because it's only really a one team league that's really what i want you guys to kind of discuss well first off let's be honest uh, the men and women I, I don't think either of them would were making the tournament after the mass exodus uh from from the program especially the men uh, and Sule, if Sule had any desire to stay, it probably left once he saw that Titus and um, and Agnew and and Bienemy were all leaving. I mean, then that would make things really tough because all of a sudden he'd have no supporting cast. And I'm sure they'll get a supporting cast, but it's much tougher to do that now in April than uh, you know it is maybe in let's say May or June, Adrian. And let's start there with this question from Minor Eddie Mac. I just think that you know for Sule. Hey, Hey, I mean, it's. I think that you want to come back and, and play on a team that at least you have a, a sense of who you're going to be with, and it's a risk if you decide to not go in the portal wait to see what happens. Yeah, and I also think that just to be uh, very generic with any transfer, to try to get in their heads and understand why they decided transfer is tough because nowadays across college basketball, you play, you end up transferring. You don't play, you end up transferring. And for Sule Boom, I can agree that maybe the path to playing in an NCAA tournament game uh, is, is one of those things that maybe uh, you know, is what something something that he wants. But for Sule Boom, he also stuck around, knowing last year, knowing that most of his teammates would be also sticking around. So maybe now that the departure of other players that could have led to his decision. But maybe it couldn't have. Maybe he just decided that he wanted to change. So kind of hard uh, when everybody's kind of virtually entering the portal. It seems like and, and trying to uh, understand why these players enter the portal to begin with. I really don't but necessarily I, think Ed that that a lot of this has to do with coaches. I think some of them have situations that are away from the uh, away from the team that you know a lot of us might not even know about. Well, but here, but I'll tell you what: I have a lot of confidence that Joe Golding will have that team, whoever it is, next year by half season, midway through the season, he's going to have that team ready, and I have a lot of confidence he's going to be able to regroup. I have a lot more confidence in him being able to do that than I do on the women's side because I just feel like it was a different situation the way they ended the season. 
Something me, something happened near the end of um, near the end of non conference start of conference play for the women. They were never the same after that, and we don't know what happened. We don't really know for sure what went down, uh, but something definitely happened because that team was eight and two to start the year, and when conference play started really to kick in, they couldn't beat anybody. And it's incredible that a team that was so good early on and won big road games has struggled as much as they did when conference play started. Well, I, I, I can tell you, I have a theory on that, and I because I, I listened to all the games and I, I was following them. But when they went on that road trip to Florida, that first road that first road game, they were hammered on the fouls, and it was really bad. I mean, you can check with the uh, who is it Mondo, the one that does those games. Yes, is it Mondo? Yes, that they they crushed them, and when they came back that second game two days later they were a different team they got blown out and it just seemed like from that point on they were never the same never interesting that's, observation that's, that's true that's and by the way katia listen i'll say this about katia okay she had a down year she really did she averaged less than she had the year before her shooting percentage was down 10 percentage points which is a significant amount she wasn't the same player uh, as she was a year ago so i don't know what was going on uh you know on and off the court but katia was not nearly the player last year that she was the year before well and it doesn't help when you have a player that goes into the portal in march you still have a lot of games to play so that wasn't good either unfortunately there was uh eh, we'll just leave it at that okay fair (laughs) enough fair enough all right we'll talk to you all later thanks for the call yeah i mean that's a listen that is a tough one and Look, we know it's a bad look for UTEP because they marketed her at the spring deal. They had the big spring thing, and she was all over the video board. Yeah, and just a, just something for UTEP fans. If you're a fan who just hates the transfer portal, then March and April are just going to be your most miserable months, unfortunately. You're you're going to see players who you latched on to as far as rooting for uh, this past year enter the portal year after year. So it, it's one of those things as a minor fan you almost have to accept, but it's hard to accept those things when your your players are constantly turning over. That's why guys like Ed calls the show and uh, wonders why these players leave. And going back to what you were saying about Katya, yeah, they they dipped into in production, uh, but it wasn't just this spring game, Steve. She's the poster child yeah. for UTEP athletics. Whenever you're trying to sell some tickets or you're trying to give everybody the the, la- the latest on UTEP women's basketball, it felt like Katia Gallegos was the face of that program, and losing her is a huge blow to this program and to this athletic department as a whole. And in the city of El Paso, she's a homegrown product who uh, made an all-conference list twice, actually three times in yeah. her college basketball career. I know. She's a star she's an absolute star she's the building block and she was the pulse of the team and without her it's it's a huge loss there is no doubt about it and you know the the news broke on friday and obviously sent shockwaves around the city and I don't know how you replace that because you can replace a player like that, but you can't replace the person in Katia Gallegos and what she left over on this team. She didn't have a good year this past year. She averaged her, uh, you know, low last year. She averaged thirteen point eight points per game. This year, it dipped down to eleven and a half. So it just wasn't a good year at all for her for Katia Gallegos, and she was still an All Conference selection. So even at her worst, arguably, she was still successful in her own uh, individual categories. Hundred percent. All right, we'll talk more about that later in the show. But first, I want to tell a little story about uh, a couple that, that were living in Socorro. It's Jesus and Monica. And, you know, they already moved out of their home and they needed to sell it because it was just sitting vacant. So here's what they did. They reached out to Brian Birds and his team. They got the home listed and under contract in just two weeks for $20,000 over the list price out there in Socorro. And guess what? 
it closed just one week later. Jesus and Monica were so happy to get that home off their hands and that extra money in their hands. Now, to achieve top dollar for your home like Jesus and Monica did, you got to get that agent who can create an auction-like effect with buyers competing for your home and driving up the price. Here's his name, Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team powered by EXP Realty. First off, they rank as the number one team in residential sales. And here's why. Many, many buyers, hundreds of buyers ready to buy for Brian right now. So if your home is list between $150,000 and $300,000, he has buyers for you as we speak. Call the official real estate agent of UTEP, a Paso Locomotive FC, and the Rhinos, the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. His name is Brian Birds. Hour number two. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. He is back in El Paso from his busy week at Augusta and very happy to have from PGA Tour Radio, Fred Albers uh, with us uh, right now on our hotline to kick off hour number two of the show. Freddie, welcome back. And uh, another uh, very eventful uh, week of golf, that's for sure. Any Masters fan were, were glued to their TVs and their radios this weekend listening to uh, all the coverage. Yeah, it was, really a, it was really a good Masters. And I don't know if El Pasoans know this, but Scotty Scheffler's first uh, qualifying for a USTA event when he won the uh, USTA Gene Ram. He came to El Paso Country Club. And uh, he talks about it uh, all the time. Uh, he said, I, I played uh, a young player by the name of Jerry Pelletier, which is, of course, Mark Pelletier's son when I spoke to Utah. Because Jerry was so good, I couldn't believe how good Jerry was. It was unbelievable. And both of us qualified for uh, the Junior Am. And I told that to, to Jerry Pelletier, and he laughed. And he goes, well, he got that partially right. And there was only one qualifier here. And he won it. And I was second. But he was so much better than me. It was just uh, incredible. So, there's a tiny little link between uh, Scotty Scheffler and El Paso. You know, that's a great story because as soon as uh, Scheffler was putting his name in the books, Fred, I was looking at um, the um, you know the College All-American and thinking that maybe Scheffler played at UT, but uh, he was there from 2014 to 2018. A bunch of his teammates played over the years, but he, uh, Scheffler never played in the All-American. Yeah, I don't know why that, that is. Uh you know, maybe he was busy with other national tournaments. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but he uh, he definitely uh, has a place in, in El Paso history and really likes uh, El Paso. Sometimes, you know, school gets in the way. Sometimes other tournaments get in the way. I'm, I'm not really sure about that. But he's definitely a Texas guy, and uh, he, uh, you know, he's all about El Paso. He has, he has the nicest dad and, and family, and I've known them for, for years. In 2016, I was at Oakland. He was at Oakmont, and his dad came up and introduced me to uh, Scotty and said, listen, he's going to be a star. And uh, Scotty made the mistake of giving me his phone number, his cell phone, uh, six, seven years ago. So I stayed in touch with him uh, two years and talked with him a couple times. He's going to be happy with him. Oh, that's cool. I love that story. Fred Albers with us uh, here on, on Sports Talk. What year, do you remember what year he played at El Paso uh, Country Club in the amateurs? Well, it would have been, well, he's 25 now, so like 12 years ago, somewhere in there. Oh, wow. So you're talking, he was like a 13-year-old kid at the time. Okay, so yeah, it was... It was, it was, it was yeah. Junior M. Right. Junior USGA Junior M. 
Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny because if we would have said, uh, hey, you know, we, we could have known Scotty Scheffler then, it's it's hard because I don't even know if he was a – was he a prodigy at 13 like Tiger and some of the other golfers? Well, nothing like Tiger, but but he was certainly – you know, if you go to the University of Texas on a full ride with John Fields as your head coach, you're, uh, you're elite. And you know, he won the United States Junior Amateur. So he absolutely was a, was a, a prodigy. Good stuff. Uh, meanwhile, there's some other great storylines. Rory's uh, incredible shot on 18 and just the round he had. Best round of his career uh, you know, at Augusta. Only Grand Slam he hasn't won, but you could just see uh, that you know, as he closed and, and made that incredible uh, bunker shot on 18, Fred, uh, that he was pumped. And then, you know, seeing what Colin did right after that, it was, it was one of the more surreal moments on 18 for a non-winner that we've ever seen. Yeah, it was a it was a great moment for him, and it turned into a really good moment for me because I was at 18 calling shots, and Mike Tirico handled our our host last week, and so he tossed me on 18th green. And right as he tossed it to me, Rory backed off. And I had to fill a little time, so I jokingly uh, told Mike that if you hear me doing something, it's me crossing off my bucket list item. Mike Tirico tosses to Fred Alvarez on the 18th green on Sunday at the Masters, and, and we both laughed a little bit and then led right into uh, his hole-out. And, I mean, it was just electric how uh, the place just exploded. And uh, I had my arms up in the air, and I got to calm myself down because Morikawa was walking into the bunker, and I pressed my, my talk back by the PL, as they say, the private line, uh, to the producer and say, and they're all going wild and talking about the shot and, and my call. And I say, hey, oh, Morikawa was ready to hit the shot. We got another shot to call, and the producer gets in my ear and goes, "We're going to skip it, Fred. We're going to let the <laughs> the first shot play out for a, a little bit of while. We're going to talk about uh, McElroy, and we'll just come back and get the putt out of Morikawa." And of course, Morikawa hold it out on top of him, which just uh, it was a it was one of the best two minutes of sports that I've been involved with in my fifty years. So you actually didn't call live the Morikawa uh, hole out because I did not they, touch it. Yeah, I, I didn't touch it. The, the producer said the, the McElroy shot was too good. We got to let that breathe a little bit. We we'll just come back and get the par putt out of you. Wow! And uh, they they didn't come back for five minutes, and I never called it. My last call of the tournament was was McElroy's hole out, and uh, then Mike Tirico picked it up like after five minutes when they showed it on TV and. On TV, Nick Faldo is, is watching it live, and they come back, and, you know, they've just recorded it, and they want to play it out live. And Nick uh, tells everyone, you won't believe what I just saw out of Roy McIlroy uh, on the 18th hole, which just kills the suspense for, for everyone because yes. when they finally do come to it, they know what's happened. So it was, it, it was a compressed couple minutes of, of sports. I you know I was I was watching at the time the 18th with Rory and I thought Faldo said something incredible just happened and he just left it like that he said something incredible just happened we'll see that in a moment but I don't know if he yeah. actually mentioned Rory but you just have to piece it together because at the time they were on Scheffler and you figured well if something incredible just happened chances are it was obviously going to be involving McElroy you know what I mean yeah yeah I I say you pieced it all 
together correctly. Yeah, it was crazy. Fred Albers with us here on Sports Talk. For a guy that just really has caught fire, have you ever in all the years you've covered golf for PGA Tour Radio, have you ever seen a start to a year the way Scheffler has uh, here in 2022? Jordan Spieth in 2015 was pretty good, and Jordan did play in the All-American his, his freshman year at the University of Texas because he was a Walker Cupper. Uh, he was invited as a freshman here. Uh, I, I would say it's the equivalent of a Jordan Spieth uh, 2015 season. By the way, I put Jordan Spieth 2015. Jordan won uh, two majors that year, and Scotty Schaffer has four wins, including a World Golf Championship and now a major. Very special. I can imagine, and you're right. And the crazy thing is, we have so much golf left, but it just seems like he's so dialed in, doesn't get phased, confidence off the charts. It's it's pretty remarkable to see, you know, the kind of groove that and Scheffler's in right now. And he also seems to be one of the more likable players on the tour. Yeah, all that's absolutely true. Of course, we just see the finished product. Uh, we've all known about Scotty Scheffler for some time. And remember, I was in at the uh, WMT in Clinton when the, the big discussion was, can, can Scotty Scheffler win on PGA Tour? Is he ever going to uh, get over the hump? Because he had a couple chances to win where he didn't take advantage of it. He had lost in, in playoffs and, uh, you know, took a playoff win against Patrick Cantlay uh, just seven weeks ago now uh, for him to, to win for the first time. And that just seemed to, to open the floodgates. But, you know, he was a three-time All-American at, at the University of Texas. He was the Corn Ferry uh, Tour Player of the Year and then came out here with Rookie of the Year. Uh, without winning a single tournament, Steve Stricker picked him uh, for the Ryder Cup team. So maybe he was flying a little bit under the radar, but if, if you would have said two months ago that uh, Scotty Scheffler was going to win a tournament, we would all say, yeah, that's, we, absolutely, that, that's going to happen very shortly. If you were going to tell me that he's going to win four tournaments, a World Golf Championships event, and the Masters, that's a pretty compressed uh, uh, resume in a short period of time. So it's just been a, a great, great run. Fred, it really didn't seem like uh, many people were breathing down the neck of Scotty Scheffler. The, the, you know, Cameron Smith, who, is, who he was paired up with, uh, really collapsed at that 12th hole, and, and that just seemed so frustrating for him. What what did you make of that hole right there that ended up being kind of disastrous for Cameron Smith? So I think people, people forget that Cameron Smith had a putt to tie Scotty Scheffler on the second green, had an eagle putt that would have tied for the lead. Uh, I think the entire tournament flipped with Scotty Scheffler's chip-in and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, Cameron's bogey at the third hole. That chip-in at three, I was at Amen Corner calling shots when that happened, and I thought, uh-oh, that's the kind of thing that happens when someone wins. And then I just don't understand the shot. Year after year at the 12th, people miss on that right-hand side, and you know, everybody knows, you aim right over the middle of the bunker, you disregard. But, uh, you know, I walk with, with Cameron Smith uh, at the players. And with the Monday finish, he hit a nine-arm wide right and was fortunate that he caught a piece of the cup, or the green, rather, right of the flagstick. Nobody, nobody ever aims right of that flagstick when it's on the right-hand side on 17, the island green at TPC Sawgrass. And it was the same club. It was a nine-iron that he hit. And this time, 
uh, another block to the right, and this time it found the water. It wasn't even close to being on the green. It was a surprisingly bad swing. You could tell by his reaction immediately. He knew it, too. He, you know, as soon as he you didn't watch it go in. Yeah. He didn't watch it go in. He turned and looked down, knew immediately. You're right. Exactly. Hey, by the way, you were all over the place. So you got to follow Tiger on the final day. Then you're at Amen's Corner. Then you go to 18. I mean, it's got to be fun for you being so versatile that they that they put you everywhere on on the final day. And you were probably doing that for for just about every day, right? When you were when you were working the event. Well, the Masters is a little bit different in that they don't let you walk inside the ropes. Dottie Pepper is a big experiment with uh, CBS last year and this year. They gave her a, a remote pack, a wireless pack. She was able to broadcast from inside the ropes. But yeah. what they give us is a series of broadcast towers uh, on selected holes. And uh, for a good portion of, of the front nine, I'm just in a, in a, a, a studio uh, calling shots off a monitor. And then I go out and I, I have broadcast positions at uh, 11, 12, 13, uh, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And you just kind of bounce around the golf course. You don't call drives. They continue to call drives from the studio. Then they'll toss to me for the approaches and the putt. So I, I bounced around, and then I finished up Tiger, and they said, just stick at uh, 18, and you'll you'll finish some of the, the early groups. Uh, and so I was there for Hideki uh, Matsuyama's finish, uh, a couple other finishes, really just waiting for the Rory finish. And uh, once he finished up, uh, then Tariko and Curtis Strange came out of the studio and took our place. But you're right, they give me a lot of freedom now. Uh, I was with Tiger all four days. And at the end, they kind of, and this isn't really a fair comparison, but they, they kind of give me the leeway to do a little Jack Whitaker uh, essay on, on Tiger's week, which was really fun to me and apparently was well received so yeah it was it was just a you know if you were to tell 16 and he was going to get to broadcast the masters and mike Tirico would be tossing to him on the 18th i don't believe it if you were to tell passwords that's right albers would uh would be calling the masters i think those are the passwords unclear it's just been uh, you know just a confluence of luck and circumstances gave me the opportunity was this your first, and you've been to the Masters a ton, but was this the first time you've actually had a chance to call the Masters, or have you done that before? No, this was the third. My, my second year, I, I called the Masters, and they sent me to Mandina. Uh, That's the name of the par four, 17th hole. And I was there all day long, and very little happened at Mandina. And all the other announcers were signing off as their holes were done. I waited the whole day uh, for the leaders to come through. And... Uh, I got really nervous that they were teeing off, and I had to get off headset and use the restroom really quick. And the producer said, Fred, you've been out there six hours. You couldn't use the restroom before then. But uh, you know, uh, it happens to broadcasters uh, every once in a while. And then last year, I did play that play uh, of the Masters as well. But this is a much more expanded role than what I've had in the past. As far as your vantage points, when you have to go to the towers on every hole for some of the uh, for some of the locations, how high up are you compared to everybody else? It would be the top of the grandstand. Okay. So I don't know how many rolls are, are in the grandstand, and like twelve, twelve is terrible location. I couldn't see golf balls landing on the green. I I have binoculars with me, but you have a monitor, and I use the monitor to to call to call that shot. And to tell you the truth, 
you can you can see from all their vantage points much better off the monitor in the studio, but you don't get the reaction of the crowd and you don't see the body language of the player and you don't get uh, the club selection when you, when you do that. So there's pluses and minuses, but it was it was a big rush for me. I know I'm I am a self-confessed golf geek and a Masters geek, so uh, to be out there in Amen Corner calling shots every day, I would I would look back and say, you know, I. I can't believe how fortunate I am to be doing this. Have you been informed yet about uh, other potential uh, majors that you'll be working with uh, the team this year? Well, I, I know my schedule uh, through the U.S. Open, and, and I'll be doing uh, the, the PGA coming up in a, in a couple weeks, and then I imagine I'll get an invite to uh, the U.S. Open to meet with our player that. But, you know, we add and subtract people off the team all the time. You know, Curtis Strange and Mike Tirico, do not broadcast for us every week. So they slide them in for a major. And, and when you slide two people in, there's two people that slide out. So uh, I know for sure that I'm doing the PGA. I think I'm doing the U.S. Open. And we'll, we'll just see. I know for sure what regular PGA Tour events I'm doing. Uh, but I, I don't know the rest of the major schedule. Any chance that you'll ever get a shot at the Open Championship? Yeah. Uh, and if it was a year to do it, this would be the year. I'm just not really excited about going overseas. Uh, I, I guess we're going to broadcast the Ryder Cup from Rome in a year and a half. I guess I would, I couldn't turn that down. But I'm not all that excited. We're, we're, we're sending a crew over to the Scottish Open, and I specifically said I didn't have any interest in going to, to Scotland. You know, if, if, if these opportunities had opened up when I was, 36 instead of 66, I would have been all over them. I'm just not that excited about traveling. And, and this is, I understand this is terribly spoiled, but I have two weeks off, and then I have to uh, go cover the Mexican Open in Puerto Vallarta, and I'm not, not looking forward to going down to Puerto Vallarta. I mean, uh, you know, all the tournaments stay the same. It's a hassle to, to travel now internationally. It's not the safest place in the world where we go. So, I mean, if if they want me to go to a to an open championship, I'd, I'd have to think about it. But that is not on my bucket list. You do realize that there are probably a couple of thousand people listening to this interview that would like yes. to tell you, "Hey, Fred, uh, if you need, I, I know, to, yes. if you need to switch, right. right. yes." Like, like I say, like I say, if uh, if I'm 36 instead of 66, I used to love going to Europe. I went to Japan with Christy. Christy and I, I caddy for Christy in, in open championships. I just don't have the the flavor for to travel that that I once did. I, I understand that if if listeners say what a spoiled jerk he is, I, I understand that that reaction I should just lie to, but I'm just telling you the truth. Now, uh final thing is this. You've played Augusta, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's bad. I mean that's when you're terribly spoiled. I did the, the whole show for a while and uh the uh the secretary told me that he was going to call me up and ask me to be on and uh, ask me to, to be his guest at Augusta. And I tell the story at banquets that uh, my first reaction was, I, I can't go to Augusta without Christy. And so I asked, you know, players and some officials, uh, I'm going to get an invite to go to Augusta. Not just go to Augusta, but stay overnight on the property in one of the cabins and, and play 27 holes. But I can't do it with, without my wife. Do you think that I, I could ask? I was going to say, oh, is there any way I could bring my wife? And some players said, you know, this isn't your cousin's wedding where you can bring a plus one. You, 
you're going to have to go to one of the most elite golf courses in the entire world. No, you can't do it. And others said that, you know what? Go ahead and ask. All he can say is no. But if he says no, then you can't say, well, you know what? It wasn't really important for her. I'll just come by myself. You know, if you're going to ask and he says no, then you're not going for sure. So I just decided that there's no way that I could go play Augusta without Christy. So coach called me up. We're talking. He goes, hey, Fred, I was wondering if you and Christy would like to come to Augusta and be my guest. And I just started laughing. I said, oh, my God, we'd love to, Coach. I told him the whole story about whether I could ask Christy to come along, too. And Coach pauses at the other end for five seconds and goes, oh, Fred, I'm afraid you misunderstood. I was always going to invite Christy, but it was just at the last second I decided to invite you, too. So we were on, we were on property for 24 hours. We, we uh, landed. They picked us up at the airport. Uh, we stayed in the cabins. We had the run of the place. Uh, we played with Coach Holtz, and we played uh, 27 holes in the middle of a four and a half hours, had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, then back to the airport, and it was done. It was just a, uh, I mean, not very few people get to do that. I have, I have truly been, been blessed, and I understand that uh, I, I, I've gotten so incredibly lucky to be able to do this late in life. Good job, Fred. Hey, welcome back to town. Enjoy the couple of weeks before you go back on tour, and appreciate the time, as always, uh, being here on the show. Anytime. Thanks for calling. Always kind of, you know, glad to catch up with you and uh, all You got it. Fred Albers, PGA Tour Radio, coming back from Augusta National and the Masters as we continue here, 23 past the hour. Come back with more. First, Charlie Wan. He's got a traffic update for us. Charlie, how we doing? 27 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. My thanks to Fred Albers. What a life. My goodness. He's following Tiger Woods for four days. Tariko tosses to him, so Fred feels like it's he's died and gone to sports broadcasting heaven. Then he gets to call the radio shot of McElroy's incredible hole out. But he misses the next shot because they don't go to him. They don't want to go to him. And he was even calling for it. Like, he was ready, you know, just to call that action right there with Morikawa. And, unfortunately, they, they just didn't go back to him until much later on, Steve. So, yeah, yeah what well, could have been right there with back-to-back calls. No, I know. I know. Man, it's tough. Nearing the bottom of the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Uh, our telephone number, 915-505-6009. That's 915-505-6009. Uh, the Dwayne Haskins story is just horrible in every possible way. I mean, a tragedy in mid-20s and, you know, trying to still get uh, establish his career in the NFL the way he did in college. And um, he's still in shock over it. Let's be honest, Adrian, it doesn't happen very often. And hearing the news, the sad news about Haskins killed uh, when he was struck by the vehicle over the weekend really, really put such a, uh, a somber note on the NFL. Yes, it was a just tragedy across the board. And for uh, Dwayne Haskins, somebody who had really been uh, getting his life together in a, in a very positive manner, and I'm not saying like he had anything bad by any means, but he had been a bounce-back quarterback. And look at what he'd been doing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, he was a uh, presence in their locker room. He was expected to be contending for a backup position over there. And uh, unfortunately, you know, just 24 years old, that's, that's just a tragedy right there when you're talking about Dwayne Haskins dying this past weekend. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And um, apparently uh, Adam Schefter apologized for his tweet. Schefter broke the news and took a shot saying he just his he had like kind of has disappointed in his first two seasons in the league and really bad taste and 
Just, you know, I mean, somebody just dies like that, you don't start talking about how he hasn't lived up to the potential in the NFL. You quickly forget what a great college football player he was. If you're going to try to grade his on-field activities, which you never do in that situation, a tragedy just happened. He's at this at the end of the day, he's also somebody's son, he's a brother, he's a human being just like you and me, and uh he he should have been treated like that when the news broke. I get it. Adam Schefter has a job, we all do, but uh yeah, I mean, you know, choose your words there in that situation. And have a heart. You know, don't just uh, try to rip a guy right after you find out that that he's gone. It's terrible. So, and it's not like it's for, it's his first uh, tweet talking about an athlete who tragically passed away in that situation. It's it, he's done this before, so yeah. I'm I'm uh, you know very very puzzled by that decision right there by Adam Schefter. I'm with you on that one. All right, bottom of the hour. Uh, had a really interesting tweet from Enemy Win Three involving UTEP basketball. We'll get to that right after Adrian standing by with this bottom of the hour sports talk uh, sports center update as we continue. Adrian, thank you very much. So the tweet that um, Enemy Win 3 sent me is, why is Joe Golding getting a pass for the mass exodus when previous coaches got criticized? Fair point, valid point. Not the first person I've heard this from either. So, Adrian, uh, appreciate the tweet at 600 ESPN El Paso. And here's my answer to you. Pretty simple, okay? Um, The majority of the really good players that went into the portal were not Golding guys. I mean... They were Rodney Terry guys. So he kept them for a year, and then ultimately they decided to either transfer or go pro or do whatever they did. So you know, a lot of the times when Rodney Terry got criticized or um, Tim Floyd got criticized, they were their guys that they were recruiting that were going into the portal. And, um, and, and you know, they were here one minute, gone the next. Now, I don't want to give Joe Golding a complete pass because the truth is they missed on Keza Giffa, they missed on Bonky Maring, and ultimately, although I thought Jarrell Satterfield could have worked out and, and had a nice stretch of about 10 games when he couldn't miss a three, you know, you could say that was a bit of a miss because, unfortunately, the last 14, 15 games didn't go so well. And those were their guys. They That was somebody that Joe recruited late in the summer when he arrived trying to get players here and bodies here, okay? But the difference to me is is that um, you know, the big name, the big contributors, those were not his guys. Those were guys he convinced to stick around. They did. They won 20-plus, and now they're going to go try play for somebody else. And I don't believe that they're leaving because of Joe Golding and staff. I think they, they maybe just want to – I think they saw Bryson Williams. They saw what he did, and they probably all thought, that can be me. I can go someplace – else go right on a team that could be into the NCAA tournament and have a chance to play in the postseason. Now that might not be correct, but that's just what I think. And again, um, you know, when Terry's guys went into the portal, those guys were the guys he coached, uh, he recruited. Um, there were some guys from the first season that, you know, guys like Evan Gilliard and others that went in that he didn't bring in. Those are the Floyd guys. But, you know, when Floyd lost all of his players to the portal, they were his guys. So, Adrian, I think that's the the easiest definition. Now, it's very possible that in the future, all of Golding's guys go in the portal on a yearly basis, and this this is a this is a moot um, answer 
a year or two from now, but at least for the time being, that's the best explanation that I can give. Yeah, also I look at, and that was a fantastic uh, comparison right there when you're talking about the 2018 roster uh, that Rodney Terry had because they had turnover on that roster, like Evan Gilliard, like you mentioned. Kobe McGee was also on that right, roster. Right. Those are some names that you can, and, and other players who entered the portal. But UTEP fans and media members gave Rodney Terry a pass because he needed to spend a full calendar year 100%. in El Paso. We did and not, absolutely, we did not absolutely go after Rodney Terry when he got rid of all the other players after his first season. We said the same thing we're saying right now. Got to give him a chance. And he even had a postseason press conference where he said they had the JV team at that point. They were going to bring the varsity in the mix. Uh, and I don't know, you know, whatever that ended up being for Rodney Terry. Yeah. But uh, that's what he said. And he wanted to bring his guys. He had to see guys like, you know, uh, Bryson Williams sit out a season. Sule Boom sit out a season. So those guys sat out a year while they ma- got their eligibility under their belt. And then they starred for the minors. So I really look at those two off seasons. And that was the year that everybody gave Rodney Terry a pass because he hadn't spent a full calendar year here. Uh, Joe Golding still hasn't spent a full calendar in El- year in El Paso. Let him, uh, you know, take some time and recruit and see what he see the lay of the land in El Paso in Conference USA and get the guys he wants now. And the truth is, Joe Golding might not be able to keep his guys from going into the portal because the portal is turning into what it's turning into right now. So you kind of wonder, will everybody just have to navigate differently in the future? And that is, everybody becomes John Calipari, except instead of your guys going into the NBA, your guys are going into the portal and you just have to always figure out a way to rebuild and 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 put a new team together every couple years. Yeah, and I Or always, every year for that matter. Yeah, and that's where Andy Kennedy right there from UAB. He, he deals with that year after year. He deals with a ton of roster turnover you're even seeing some coaches embrace it like okay yeah. you want to use this as uh and go off to a better college sure go ahead do that but I'm going to go out and recruit the best players to win here win at UTEP win in conference USA that's the motto that this coaching staff needs to have in order to be successful and and you know the sooner that they accept that and understand that the some of the best players might leave UTEP well it, it might be better for everyone in the long run and the truth is yes we do give coaches uh, in their first year a free pass we do I mean I mean, we've given it to everybody out there. And, and you got to remember, when Floyd was here his first season, he was six minutes away from going to the NCAA tournament without Arnett Moultrie and without Derek Character. And everybody was bought in thinking that Floyd is going to be able to turn that team into a consistent 25-win NCAA powerhouse the way he had every other stop of the way. Yeah, and now if you want to hold us accountable on all these same measures, if you want to hold us accountable, hold the team accountable uh, later on this fall, if they don't deliver on their promise, then sure. But give them the offseason. Let them try to do this because, yeah, like that team had success, like how uh, you know Rodney Terry's uh, team in year two had a little bit of success and you started to see some of the magic and how Joe Golding won 20 games, 20 plus games in year one. Yep. I mean, I think that those are some of the ways that you could try to channel momentum moving forward and try to get wins under your belt and build the program. You want to talk about it? 915-505-6009. That's 915-505-6009. Coming up in about 25 minutes, John Conniff will join us from uh, madfriars.com. Up next, though, we'll wrap up hour number two with uh, some more to talk about. Looking forward to uh, continuing the discussion. NBA next. Playoffs right around the corner. We'll give you the uh, lowdown right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Complete preview of what to expect from the Chihuahuas this season, top to bottom, and probably the rest of the Padre minor league system as well. Mad Friars does such a great job, and Adrian and John will have that conversation coming up to begin our 6 o'clock hour. 
as I head off to the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. It is uh, voting night, and have our fingers crossed that we could try to get uh, Joe Mench into the Hall of Fame in the media uh, category for 2022. Uh, NBA season has come to a close. The regular season has now the playing games and the playoffs will be here. Frank Vogel is already a casualty. Adrian, um, Joel Embiid said he doesn't know what he needs to do to win the MVP. Well, uh, maybe the answer is up his all-around game because Nikola Jokic is the human uh, triple-double at a center spot and ultimately as great a year as uh, Embiid had scoring-wise, tough to deal with somebody that can do it all from the center position like Jokic. Yeah, and do it all with nothing on his team. I mean, Jamal Murray at, out for the season, uh, and, or you know, out for this uh, last year, and then uh, Michael Porter Jr., he dealt with injuries all season long. Will Barton's been in and out of the lineup. I mean, Bones Highland is somebody that you like from Denver, but uh, I don't know if you can count on him to be reliable game in and night out, uh, but one of the, I mean, Jokic is just uh, phenomenal. I mean, he's one of those guys who who really is, when you're looking at the definition of most valuable player, you take away Jokic from that team, you replace him with Embiid, eh, maybe they're a 7th seed, 8th mm-hmm. seed, but they're not a 6th seed in where they are right now in the Western Conference. Uh, and meanwhile, I think if Joel Embiid wanted to win this MVP, which, by the way, he's uh, deserving of an all nba honor, deserving of the scoring title, which he won yesterday and he clinched, uh, I, I don't want him to be the fourth seed because what really separates the fourth seed in the East and the sixth seed in the West, not too much right there. And uh, Joel Embiid, great season. Fa- I mean, phenomenal with the with the 76ers all year long. Just uh, he didn't do enough to get the MVP. Well, and the thing is, it's hard because he did. He scored like, uh, you know, an, an incredible amount of points. But Jokic just does everything. Assists, rebounds, scoring. He's, he, you know, triple doubles are not – It's. You don't see that very often in a guy his size. Yeah, and and he's the best passing center of all time when it's all said and done. He's going to go down in history as that. He'll go as uh, uh, somebody who's going to win another MVP award under his belt. And let, now let's see what he can do in the playoffs. I mean, Jokic, he doesn't do this for the awards. I felt I felt like Embiid wanted to win this one so badly. Like he was gunning for this MVP honor right here. Jokic doesn't care. He no. wants to beat the, the Golden Look, State Warriors in the first round, and he wants to go far in the playoffs. 27 points. Um, 58% shooting from the field, 7.9 assists, 13.8 rebounds per game. That's a triple-double right there because he doesn't have the player, Steve, to throw out those assists to. So how many to- how many of those assists would have actually turned into makes had he yeah. had a formidable roster around him? He also had one-and-a-half steals per game. Think about that. And, and, and a block a game. He led the team in every statistical category there is to lead. Yeah, and he was he was a one man team for Denver. He did all the right things. He made everybody around him better, and that team really needed somebody like that. They needed a point guard who was gonna ever up everybody's game. the The thing with the Denver Nuggets is they have a point guard who's seven foot, you know, and a seven foot center in Nikola Jokic. He also didn't complain about what else he needs to do to try to win an award. 
Very true. Yeah, and 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 beat out there again. I, I'm not going to say he was, uh, you know, trying to pad his stats or anything like that, but he didn't end up playing the final game, and Philly ended up, you know, they, they just they're did. a four seed again. Yeah, four seed. If they're a second seed, if they won the first seed in the East, no doubt, no doubt about it. It's Joel Embiid. Uh, he would have deserved it in that case. But I didn't even. I think it came down to the wire. I really did. I thought that the MVP award, and uh, I didn't like Philly down the stretch. I didn't think that they were that great. I don't even know if they could beat the Raptors. In the first round. Seriously, the That's Raptors true. won eight it's of their true. last ten. Yeah, and, and the Raptors are scary. They've got guys like OG Ananobi, possibly the future uh, Rookie of the Year, I and think Scotty so. Barnes. Barnes so. is amazing. Barnes is getting a lot of love for Rookie of the Year, by the way. Yeah, and uh, they've got Greta Van Vliet on their team as well, so he's pretty sharp. Uh, by the way, Matisse Thibel can't play in this series, Steve. He is uh, unvaccinated with Philadelphia. He cannot play, so your idea of having Matisse Thibel guard OG Ananobi or Fred Van Vliet, uh, that won't happen in this series. Pascal Siakam, a very quiet 22.8 points, 8.5 rebounds per game to lead the Raptors in both categories. Yes, yeah, stepped it up in the second half of the season, almost worthy of a all-NBA honor, and if you're, you're going to probably say he's worthy of it if you're putting Pascal Siakam in over LeBron James in that final all-NBA category. So I'm curious to see once those awards come out, who ends up getting those honors. Any more disappointing uh, in your entire life than what the Lakers did this year when no. you really think about it? Oh, so disappointing. I mean, people were talking about this team easily winning the championship. Very disappointing. I thought they'd at least be a play-in team, at least. And they couldn't even make that. Uh, now they have really nothing. They're going into this offseason with so much uncertainty. And unfortunately for Frank Vogel, he has to be the fallout guy. They're targeting Nick Nurse, which I'm like, come on, man. Why are you throwing out these rumors out there when Nick Nurse is currently the Toronto Raptors head coach? And he's fine. He's fine doing that. And he, got, he signed a contract extension following the that championship that he won with Toronto. So I hate those narratives that are already starting among the Lakers brass. I know it. And and yet it's funny how you hear LeBron say I had nothing to do with this. That's that's the best part. Is he's trying to plead is he's trying to plead uh, his innocence. Yeah, LeBron chose uh Russell Westbrook over DeMar DeRozan. And that's uh that's factual right there. You can say whatever he wants out there. Him, Rob Palinka, the Lakers front office, they all they all work in accordance with each other and they wanted Russell Westbrook and unfortunately they're going to have to keep him and that horrible contract that he has under his belt. And meanwhile, what a what a tough job it is for the new Lakers coach. That's what you're going to have to try to inherit right now. That is not that that's that, that is not exciting at all. You're going to have to pay a pretty penny to try to lure anybody to uh, coach the Los Angeles Lakers after what ended up happening this year. Uh, they just see it the way that uh, people targeted Frank Vogel this past year, whether it was fans, current players, whatever it may be. No one wants to be in that kind of situation right there. You're telling Nick Nurse he wants to leave Toronto to go to LA and, and be out with it whenever uh, the superstar gets mad in LA? No way. I know. And there's so many, And listen, and, and by the way, have you ever seen a year where Russell Westbrook had to deal with more in his life uh, you know, on and off the court than this year with the Lakers? I mean, it was magnified, and much of it was Russell's own own doing, but he was having to try to defend himself almost after every loss during a stretch. Yeah, I, he brings it on himself, though. Like, Russ, Russ is out there. He says that he's still – he thinks that he's still among some of the better point guards in this league, and he's just – he's a non-factor. He doesn't play any defense, can't shoot the ball from outside the perimeter or from mid-range. The best thing 
thing he could do is attack the basket, and he doesn't like to do that. He doesn't want to be a second fiddle on a team when he he still wears the jersey that says Russell Westbrook. We'll talk more about this, I'm sure, during the rest of the week. If you want to weigh in in our final hour, it's 915-505-6009, or better yet, tweet us at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Adrian will be back with John Conniff from Mad Friars live to lead off our final hour of the show. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, welcome into the final hour of Sports Talk. Adrian brought us here, taking you through the rest of the show. We're up until the top of the next hour, 7 o'clock, and we will take your calls at 915-505-600 and the number 9, or you could tweet us also at 600ESPN-El Paso. Check out our website, 600ESPNElPaso.com, for all the local content up on the website. Uh, but next, let's go to our phone lines and welcome on one of our good friends, John Conniff. He is the publisher of Mad Friday. Tomorrow is opening day at Southwest University Park as the Chihuahuas will uh, debut their home stretch and they will return to the Southwest University Park following their series against Round Rock. They take on Oklahoma City and uh, tomorrow it'll be uh, El Paso lefty Ryan Weathers on the mound. We'll have you covered right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Tim Haggerty on the call starting at 635 here local time. Let's jump out to the phone lines. Welcome on John Conniff who's joining us on the show. John, thank you so much for the time. You've been doing this since 2004, writing and publishing for Mad Friars, and really appreciate you joining us back here on the show today. How's everything going? Great. I always love talking to anyone from El Paso. It reminds me of all the great meals that I had out there, and great baseball. It's a blast going out there, so uh, thank you for having me on. Oh, most definitely. We really appreciate it. And, John, uh, I want to get your thoughts on Kiki's. I saw an, a great article on Mad Friars talking a little bit about Kiki's. We'll save that for later on in the segment. Uh, but I uh, do want to okay. talk a little bit about Mad Friars. And those of us uh, who li- or those who listen to us here on Sports Ta- Talk, they know you and they know Mad Friars from all the times you're here in El Paso and the times that you've spent. But for those who don't know about Mad Friars, would you give us a little bit of a, a run rundown of what you all do covering the Padres prospects and the minor league teams pretty much on a daily basis. We got to thank first a couple of your, your listeners who really uh, got us uh, to your guys' attention. I, I forget their names off the top of my head, but so many people in El Paso have been so nice to us about what we do. Uh, mainly what we do is we're six, six guys and we cover the Padres uh, minor league system. Every day we have a daily rundown, you know, which is free and you can, in about two swipes, you can find out what's going on with El Paso Chihuahuas, San Antonio Missions, Fort Wayne Tin Caps, Lake Elsinore Storm, and the Arizona Complex League Padres when they start. We go out to each site multiple times, and we have interviews with players, coaches, and Padres personnel. And if you go on our site right now, you can see a rundown we have of all four uh, four clubs. We have Mark Connor on there, who's the Padres director of uh, minor league uh, player development, Marley coordinator, I should say. And uh, we had three questions with him on each squad. And we're really proud we haven't missed a day, I think, in a long, long time. So we've been doing this, as you said, since uh, 2003. And all of us have full-time jobs. And it is a subscription site, half the content. Uh, funds are trips, and the money's only used for uh, airline tickets, 
hotels and rental cars. You know, the trips to Kiki's are on us. So uh, other than that, uh, we have a great time doing it, and we get to talk, talk and meet with guys like you. So it's a great time. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, it sounds like the, the, the best gig out there right now. And, uh, John, we really appreciate you uh, joining us here in El Paso talking some Chihuahuas. And before diving into Chihuahuas, I want to talk to, uh, a little bit about the other affiliates uh, under the mm-hmm. Padres minor league system and some prospects to watch. Let's let's start off in single A, Lake Elsinore. Uh, one of the prospects that really catches my eye is uh, outfielder James Wood. Now, he also, I, I look at the 27th pick in the amateur draft in Jackson Merrill, uh, who's a shortstop for uh, you know mm-hmm. Lake Elsinore. But what what are your assessment of those two prospects right there and this team as a whole? Well, you know James is going to catch everybody's eye because you don't see many six foot seven, two hundred and fifty five pound center fielders every day. Uh, hits from the left side, some serious power. The Padres got him in the second round last year. Although you know, as both you and I when we look at drafts, we look at what the bonus money was. So by the amount of money he got, he really was the first overall pick. He slid down a little bit because there were some questions about he had a bad six-week period in high school at the IMG Academy, but he bounced back. At the Arizona Complex League, he absolutely showed everything the Padres could want to see. He had 370 on a 460 on base, 500 power. And the thing about him is he can really – run and where people make a mistake i think on james when you see him is he's not a good athlete for his size i mean he's a good athlete as one of our writers pointed out there's another tall guy i think mark i don't know if you met mark when he was out there mark wilkins is six foot eight and he said you know when he watches tall guys play he tries to see them kind of in a vacuum to see how they move and that he said with james you're watching him play center field and then he trots into the rest of the guys and it's like Oh yeah, he really is six foot seven. As far as Jackson Merrill, he's a kid out of around where I live now. He's from around the Annapolis area in Maryland. He had this major growth spurt. He's kind of a late rising guy, six three, two hundred pound shortstop, another left hand hitter. You know, really kind of moves well laterally. Really a gritty player, makeup off the charts. He's gotten off to a good start. Those are pretty much the two main guys. If you're kind of a, a casual fan of this that you should be following with a low Lake Elson or Storm. Going back to James Wood real quick, because you said something interesting, yeah. you know, is his size is that he's not as athletic for his size. Is he as, as athletic to play center and, and be in the outfield like that and continue there? Do you think he'll kind of grow into, I don't know, like kind of grow into his athleticism in that regard? You know, he moves really well. His father was a professional basketball player overseas. Uh, for 10 years, both his sisters played Division One basketball. You know, if you watch him move, the guy he reminds me most of, it kind of sounds strange, is, is Manny Machado. Because when you watch Manny Machado play a lot, he's just such a good athlete. So many things just look effortless to him. And that's kind of both a blessing and a curse. Because sometimes with James, you know, he moves so well, it doesn't really look like he's trying, but he is. He's just that graceful. Could he, will he probably move to a corner? You know, I think that's a reasonable assumption, but right now, I mean, you see him move out there. I mean, he just covers a lot of ground. I mean, he, he takes long strides for a guy that is six foot seven and that just eats up so much ground. And he was 10 for 10 in stolen bases, uh, 
at the Arizona Complex League. And one of our guys, David Jay, went out and saw him, and he stole the base. People don't think someone that big can run that well, and he can't. And that it's just he's just going to be someone that's going to be a whole lot of fun for us to write about and cover. And I think it's going to encourage everyone to go, hey, I need to go out and see this guy for myself. So if you got MILB.TV, uh, you know, take a look when you see the storm and, and take a look at yourself, what, what you think. Okay, I, I got you. Let's let's ping over to the high A and Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Okay. Uh, love the Tin Caps, love the logo and everything. Uh, I want to talk about the eighth pick in the 2020 draft, the outfielder and Robert Hassel the third. What can, what can you tell me about him as a prospect? I think the most interesting thing about Robert Hassel is I interviewed him at spring training. And one thing Hassel made a point of was when they had the pandemic, he was sent to the alternate site right after he was drafted. Now, he was drafted eighth overall pick, as you just said, uh, out of high school. He would played on some Team USA groups. But he made the point, he said, you know, three weeks out of high school, I'm out there in right field, and I look over to my right. There's Trent Grisham in center, and they're playing in the shift. They got Manny Machado in front of me. And this is real. And he goes, and I'm 18 years old. And he made the point for about the first month he was playing there, which is totally understandable. He really struggled. The game was quick couldn't see, get on track offensively, and then he slowly you know, got better. And you got to remember, this is a high school kid. Now he's competing against advanced minor league players. He's competing against a lot of major league players. And so by he, according to the Padres, he was actually playing really well by the time it ended. And so when he went to, to low A last year at, at uh, Lake Elsinore, you know, the whole thing was just, playing the number of games he could compete against these guys and he was able to make changes and adjustments and one of the things you see with him is he has the ability to take the ball to the opposite field not only get hits but he can really drive the ball there the other day he had a home run uh, to left field and he's a left-handed left-handed player you know he plays a really good center field you know i think i always kind of compare him to a, a free safety in that you don't see him take a wrong initial read or a first step, and he can run. You know, he's a lot, he's a much better athlete, I think, than what we thought of from what we read coming out of the draft. The other guy up there I think you're going to ask about, too, is Joshua Mears, so that's going to be another fun guy for us to chat about, too. Sure, that, that's exactly where I was headed to this one. Uh, either Joshua Mears or Corey Rosier, where where do we pick? I mean, I, I just like the fact that uh, it seems like the Tin Caps have uh, a really, really deep outfield right now. Oh, they do. And since we're on the football analogy, if Hassel at 6'2", about 185 to 190 is a free safety, then Joshua Mears is the edge rusher. I mean, he's nice. okay. six three and a half or 6'4", maybe about 255. And this is the thing that really kind of freaks you out about him is, you know, the power, as you can tell by the size, is there. and uh, But he can run. I mean, he's the backup center fielder. They're going to run him out in center some this year. So you need to think about a guy that big cruising around the middle. Now, the, Mears is not quite as advanced as Hassel at the plate. He still has some problems with, you know, strikeouts. But, he, you know, he's very young. He's improved a lot over every year. And he probably has he, – here. Here, Big James probably have the best raw power in the organization. I mean, the, the, the shot he hit the other day, I mean, I think he dented the scoreboard in Dayton. I mean, just with a, 
a moonshot. So he's someone to look at. Corey Rozier, who you brought up, he's someone that came over in the Adam Frazier trade uh, with Seattle. Uh, left-hand hitter. You know, probably going to be more of a table setter. Padres like his plate discipline a lot. That's probably the best outfield in the system, I would say. It's going to be a lot of fun fun to watch. I'm looking at a picture of Joshua Mears. It looks like he's Miles Garrett. Like, he's he's literally Miles Garrett. Uh, I love this right there. Great comparison as far as an edge rusher. Uh, let's go over to Double A and, and talk about the San Antonio Missions. Uh, I'm I'm loving uh, righty Kevin Copps. And, you know, he. it's so interesting because he is now playing in San Antonio three hours away from where he grew up in Sugarland. Tell us about the Arkansas product and what we can expect from him. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he had like a PlayStation season at the University of Arkansas, as you just said, was amazing. I think the big thing with him is his one pitch, which is kind of a a horizontal slider, I think. I hope I can get that correct, which he can throw for both strikes and get people to chase. The whole question with him is, does he have enough of a fastball really to, to set up? And, you know, he pitched the other night kind of in a wild one. He got his first save with the missions. He's an interesting guy. I think he could be in El Paso fairly quickly. He's a little bit older at 25, I believe, this year. So he's going to kind of come up. Uh, you're going to have an idea where he's at pretty quick. I would definitely expect to see him you know, with El Paso sometime this year, probably sooner rather than later. Okay, let's. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. But before we take a break, John, I want to I want to ask you just kind of a very general question about El Paso, and then we can dive into the Chihuahuas and uh, understand what you're thinking so far. But hey, they played one series. They had a, they had a series against Round Rock in which they split. It, they won the first three, lost the last three. Just your overall general thoughts on the Chihuahuas after their first uh, road uh, you know series opener. You know, they got some interesting guys. I mean, they got kind of a nice mix of, uh, of prospects, which are in our, our top 20, and Mackenzie Gore, Luis Campisano, uh, Eddie Rosario, and really Ryan Weathers. And they got some older guys who, who've kind of been around a little bit. So I think it's probably going to be a, a fairly decent team, and uh, they should be a lot of fun to watch. Okay, we're talking right now to John Conniff of Mad Friars. You could follow him on Twitter at John Conniff, and you could also follow Mad Friars on Twitter at Mad Friars just on Twitter. That's, that's simple enough. Check him out online, madfriars.com, while we're having this discussion so you could check out all the great content they've got up on the website. We're going to talk some El Paso Chihuahuas baseball coming up right after the break. But first, let's get our final traffic update. Here's Charlie One with the latest. Welcome back to Sports Talk. Adrian Broaddus taking you through the rest of the show. Our telephone number, 915-505-600. And the number 9, that's 505-600. And the number 9. We're taking questions from John Conniff of Mad Friars up on our Twitter page right now. If you have any questions from the publisher of Mad Friars, you could send it our way at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. And be sure to follow John of uh, Mad Friars also on Twitter at John Conniff, simply put. Uh, 
let's go back to the phones right now. John, uh, really loving this discussion, talking Padres farm system and Mad Friars content as well with you. Uh, let's start talking about the El Paso Chihuahuas. They have the opening home opening day tomorrow. They're taking on the OKC Dodgers, so it should be a real interesting game here in El Paso. And uh, want to start off with your season preview, which I, I, I read earlier today at, at MadFriars.com. Uh, one of my, you know, it starts off by saying that the uh, this club will be one of the most exciting teams for those who want to know who could come up to the big leagues and contribute immediately. How big is that for the Padres this year? Kind of looking at El Paso and seeing who are the immediate plug and play players for the Padres down the line. Well, the Padres last year really struggled finding, you know, pitching. And that's why let them get Jake Arrieta and Vince Velasquez, who didn't really work out that well. So they really wanted to make sure they had some, you know, options there in case some of the guys did go down uh, or injured. And, I mean, I think you saw that the first night with Mackenzie Gore, who just, who just looked fantastic. Now, I'm not sure how much longer Mac will be in El Paso. I do think he's – I don't think he's coming up quite yet. I mean, his fastball was outstanding – the other night in Round Rock with both its uh, control and command. His slider was very good. I think probably if you ask McKenzie, he'd still want to see a little bit more from his changeup and his curve, but uh, he looked fantastic. A guy who really struggled in his first outing, and I believe is starting opening night, it's Ryan Weathers. And I think I think Weathers is going to be in El Paso for a while. And You know, Weathers is someone who in 2019 was in low A, then low A Fort Wayne, he was at the ultimate site, played really, pitched really well, got called up, was with the Padres last year, and kind of struggled a little bit, mainly with, I think, with pitch selection and his command. And I think a decent amount of time in El Paso will probably really help him. Now, the Padres could have kept him in the big leagues. It's kind of like a lefty specialist. But, you know, he's got a lot of talent, and they, they see him more as a guy that can start. Another guy – Kind of on the outside is Reese Kinnear, who I think, you know, is a better pitcher than he showed last year. I think a whole key with Reese will be how far along his slider comes. Okay, good stuff. Let's uh, we'll dive into those prospects in just a little bit. I I just want to get back to something that you alluded to earlier, John, and that was the three strikes parts of all of your previews with Mark Connor, who is the Padres minor league coordinator. Now, first off, this is so cool because you get somebody with uh, who comes from the Padres, uh, you know, front office, and he's telling you directly some of these uh, questions, answering some of these questions that you have. And um, I'm I want you know, there's three sides to this because you probably have a question your initial best guess answer to that question, then it's Mark's answer, and then you kind of have to assess what he really meant off that answer. So I, I kind of want to ping around these these questions because I thought they were really good, okay. and I want to talk about okay. them in depth. And, and the first one, you asked a little bit about Mackenzie Gore's changes that he made. And, uh, you know, Mark talked about smoothing his delivery. I mean, from the assessment, from talking to Mark, what, what did you gather as far as Mackenzie Gore uh, translating his solid spring over to uh, having a more consistent day-to-day uh, you know, game uh, overall with his play? Well, when the Padres first drafted McKenzie Gore, the interesting thing is I think, I think McKenzie's closer to 6'3 than, than 6'2. But anyhow, coming up in high school, he was always a small guy. And then he kind of got this growth spurt around his junior year. So he made the varsity there by learning how to really pitch, by throwing a slider, by having a really good changeup. 
I think then he grew about four or five inches, and suddenly he had like a 90, 93 or 94 mile per hour fastball. It was up to 98 the other night. But he had kind of a very kind of strange and involved delivery. And the Padres had always thought that they weren't sure how long that could last. And so when he was in then double-A Amarillo, because they moved, the Padres moved to Amarillo temporarily for two years. They're back in San Antonio now. He did experience a little bit of shoulder problems and soreness. And that's when they kind of made the adjustment to his motion. And it took him a long while and kind of getting one person consistently telling him what he should do. And it took a while for these changes to take place. And the big thing that Mark talked about is, you know, pretty much since off season, everyone's kind of been on the same page. And Mark talked a lot about, you know, timing and smoothing out and where his arm is. And that was just a big thing because when you're throwing the ball that hard, just the slightest adjustment can really throw you off. So, uh, yeah, I think he's in just a really good place. He's in a really good place mentally too. I mean, he struggled so much last year. It's it's nice to see him and having success. I was going to say it's kind of night and day from last year's opening day in El Paso for Mackenzie oh, yeah. Gore, where uh, you're just you're kind of feeling for him because everybody was rooting for Mackenzie Gore to be the guy, and and maybe he can still be the guy down the line. Oh, I think so. And the most the most impressive thing is you know he had seven strikeouts in five innings, but. And he only gave up two hits, but he didn't walk anybody. And I mean, the thing, too, is the first time through the order, he was blowing him away with a fastball. Then the second time, they couldn't touch his slider. And so, you know, a couple of our guys, like Kevin Charity, one of our writers, saw him a lot in 2019 with Lake Elsinore. And he saw him one day when he had all four pitches working. And he said it was just the most dominant pitching performance he ever saw in his life. I mean, you know. You look for the fastball, the sliders there. You know, two you, uh, fastball was up, down, then he dropped the curveball on you, and then the changeup was especially filthy. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot really to like with McKenzie Gore, and the Padres deserve a lot of credit for sticking it out and figuring out a way uh, to get him back on track. All right, your second question talks a little bit about Ryan Weathers. We talked about this earlier, right. like you know what changes they wanted the organization specifically wants to see from him. Uh, and it was interesting because Mark answered this one talking about well, it's not really change, but it's giving him the reps. And and it's something that you alluded to earlier, John. Making they see him as a starter. They want to make him as that starting pitcher down the line. Yeah, Mark didn't really buy you know Saris's, uh statement about him going more to a two-seam guy or a sinker, but I, I kind of push back a little bit on that is, you know, one of the problems they had with Ryan Weathers last year was the then-pitching coach Larry Rothschild seemed to want him to throw his four-seam fastball up in the zone and work curve, and Weathers really is not the same type of pitcher that Mackenzie Gore is. So, yeah, I, I kind of think a two-seamer works better for him and more of a slider, and I'll be kind of curious what type of pitcher that we see uh, Weathers develop into because Weathers has, has really good mechanics. You know, his father is a former major league pitcher, uh, David Weathers. And, you know, to me, I just think, uh, you know, the whole pandemic ultimate site and not having minor league baseball for a year, it affected some guys differently than others. And so, you know, it's just an awfully big jump going from, low A to pitching in the major leagues. And I think Weathers deserves a lot of credit for doing as well as he did for a long time. But, you know, I think having at least half a season at AAA is going to 
be nothing but beneficial for the rest of his career. Sure, I, I completely agree with that. Let's uh, let's go over to the last uh, question that you asked Mark Connor, who again uh, with with the Padres, he is the minor league coordinator. Uh, you asked him about Luis Camposano, and this is one guy right. that El Paso fans know very well. Uh, what what the organization yeah. wants to see from him, and Mark simply said consistency. You know, just it's it's right. a simply put, just maintain consistency and improve that you can get high, you know be called up in the future. Yeah, the four catchers the Padres had in spring training, uh, and that includes Victor Caratini, who was just traded over uh, to Milwaukee. And the guy that got back, Corey Howell, we'll have to kind of circle back to him. He's with San Antonio right now. But I thought of those four, Campusano had the most talent. Just the whole thing with him is, you know, what makes someone good at a major league level is just the ability to have a pretty good idea of the range performance you're going to get from them every day. And I think that's what they want to see from Luis. Talent-wise, they have no questions about it. Ability to block, ability to throw. As Mark said, elite bat speed, elite power. What they need to see from him more is just really developing and implementing and carrying out a game plan as a catcher, um, handling a staff, maybe not taking his offense and defense. And, you know, to be fair to Luis, I mean, the position he's trying, he is playing is probably the most difficult on the field. You know, no offense to left fielders, but Luis is not standing out in left field thinking about his next at bat. I mean, he has so much going on. So I think you're going to see Luis for a while. I mean, I think the Padres want to see something that's really sustained over time because I think, as Mark said, when they call Luis out the next time, I mean, I don't think he's coming back down. Yeah, I, I can I can totally uh, agree with that one too because yeah, when he's up there, he's gonna stay there in the Padres. But he's got to prove that here in El Paso, and he'll he'll probably be with the Chihuahuas for a while. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Want to ping back over to some pitchers and uh, start is, uh, specifically with some starting pitching. Uh, Reese Kinnear, you alluded to him earlier, 25 year old first minor league pitcher promoted last year as a former Fordham two way star. Uh, I'm I'm curious about him because we saw him limited in El Paso. Uh, I mean limited innings in El Paso. What what, what can we expect mm-hmm. from him this year? This is an interesting one. Yeah, the biggest comment that his manager in San Antonio, Philip Wallman, made was he thought recently he went up to both El Paso and San Diego was throwing the ball. Just he's throwing his change up a little too hard because his big ticket to success was there was such a separation between his, you know, his kind of two-seam fastball you know, and his changeup. You also need to see his slider develop a little more. One thing about Reese too is you—you you just stated he was a two-way player for them, so he's really kind of become new and you know, relative speaking, to just being a full-time pitcher. So, you know, I think we could see a lot more from him this year. And I mean, as far as going to the major leagues, he's probably definitely the third option behind, uh, I'd say, behind Gore and Weathers. Well, not. I'm totally sure on Weathers, but Reese will be someone definitely that that you should watch. Some of those parks in the PCL are going to be interesting, you know, for him because of how offensive friendly it is. But if he can survive there, then the major leagues should be a little bit easier for him. But the big thing with Reese, from what I understand, it's just getting a really good grip on on his changeup to throw it because the balls were a little different in, in the major leagues compared to what he was throwing in double A. Any other starting pitchers uh, currently rostered with the Chihuahuas that catch your attention right now? 
he didn't have a good night the other night, but I think Pedro Avila is, is someone who's kind of fun. A guy, uh, Michael Cantu, who was a catcher with the Chihuahuas last year, said he hated hitting against him in uh, inter-squad games because, you know, he, Pedro will throw any pitch at any time. You know, fastball, slider, change, four, four or two-seamer. None of them are really great. They're all pretty good. But, uh, you know, he the key with Pedro is just, you know, limiting his mistakes because with his stuff he doesn't have as much much a margin. Uh, Aaron Leisher, you know, I think could be a good triple-A pitcher. You know, he's he doesn't have the biggest fastball. He has to pitch really tight with that. He has a very good changeup in double-A that's going to fool more batters than a triple-A where guys have a little bit more experience. The big thing with him is going to be how well his curve and, and slider develop because he's going to need those pitches to be successful. And then the bullpen, two guys, uh, Ray Kerr and Evan Miller, I think, are really kind of interesting guys as well. Let's go over to the bullpen. Uh, yeah, and, and I want to talk about Ray Kerr because he came over in that Adam Frazier trade. Do you do you like him? Are you are you buying stock on Ray Kerr right there? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably with you. Any lefty that can touch 100 miles an hour, I kind of like giving a chance to. You know, <laughs> okay. Sure, sure. why not? The with him is he's, yeah, he's got a good fastball, good slider. Just the whole thing with him throughout his career has been consistency. I think one of our writers, Ben Davey, wrote the other day is uh, you see him on one batter and he'll throw three like 98 mile per hour fastballs with the knee and a big sweeping slider, and you go, you know, how is this guy not the next Aroldis Chapman? And then he throws three of you know, the next pitches in the opposing batter's box. So, you know, he's he, he's coming. I mean, there's a lot to like. Evan Miller is a guy who was with you guys a lot uh, last year. Started and relieved. Uh, it's a product from LaPorte, Indiana. It was a big, a big kind of a big story in Fort Wayne because he went to college out there. It's kind of the ex- ex- exact opposite. You know, he's a right-handed, right-hander. He works really well with a, a sinker and slider. Keeps the ball. Not going to blow anybody away with speed, but his ball just sinks so much, batters just pound it into the ground. Uh, ping, pinging over to Eggy Rosario, and you talked about him just a little bit uh, in in earlier today. Uh, Eggy Rosario, besides having one of the best names out there, I mean, he can really do some damage out there for the Chihuahuas. I, I'm really excited to see what he could do this whole season, and Chihuahuas fans will get their first glimpse at him tomorrow. Well, one, he deserve a lot of credit for not screwing up that name. But everybody I've been on <laughs> there with calls an E-guy. So, I mean, you you nailed that perfectly. So he deserves some credit. He's the guy who had his best year last year in uh, in San Antonio. Really compact, built little guy, about 500, no, about five foot nine, about a good, at least 190, 195. Has a short, quick stroke. Probably his best position is second or third base. He can play shortstop. He's been okay there. Yeah, he's someone who I think uh, might be this year's Tucapita Marcano. You know, because I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's quite Abrams or Cronenworth or Tatis. But he's a you know he's a decent player, so I think he's going to be someone who could see a lot of trade talks revolve around. But uh, he's a fun guy to watch. What about C.J. Hinojosa? Is that somebody that you're, you you like with this team? I know he's 27 years old, but he joins the Chihuahuas from the Astros system, and uh, Chihuahuas fans might remember him at playing for Round Rock. So what, what do you think about him? Yeah, I don't know enough about him. I saw him a little bit in spring. You know, he's a guy that you kind of signed, you know, 
a lot of AAA teams are kind of like major league taxi squads. In case someone goes down, he would probably be someone that could be called up to the 40-man roster. He was a shortstop. He put up some good numbers at AAA Round Rock. You know, I'm kind of curious to see him play. I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities to play all around the infield. How about let's uh, switch over to the outfield. What Trace Thompson has been able to do so far has been pretty uh, pretty nice. I mean, uh, he is somebody who uh, he, he can play all three outfield positions. He's versatile, and uh, to start things off early on with the, the Chihuahuas, at least he's uh, he's hitting some dingers. Yeah, you know, he, he's got some major league experience. I think he played at least five years in the big leagues, you know, off and on. Uh, you know, he's someone to watch. He's very athletic. You know, obviously his brother is Clay Thompson, uh, good size. You know, he kind of struggled a little bit in uh, in spring training. He'll get a chance to uh, play here. And, you know, if he doesn't come up with the Padres, he could be attracted to someone else. You know, they have a lot of interesting guys in Taylor Colway, who was good last year, uh, Brent Rooker, uh, Nomar Mazzara, and um, you know, it, it should be all these guys are really big and have some size, and uh, they're going to kind of protect some of the prospects and Eggy Rosario and Luis Camposano in the lineup. Before we let you go, John, just curious: Nomar Mazzara, Brent Rooker, which one are you? You think that could have kind of like that uh, breakthrough season for the Chihuahuas? If you had to pick one of the two, right there, I'd probably pick Mazzara because you know he actually's done it. He's hit twenty home runs in the big leagues, nineteen before. He's someone that can put up some serious numbers in, in a lot of the parks and in El Paso. He's a guy to watch. And one guy just come back a little bit to double-A. The guy they got from in the Caratini trade, Corey Howell, was interesting. He played mainly the outfield in the Brewer system. The Padres are going to try him. It looks like it's shortstop in double-A San Antonio. So he's 23, and that could be a guy that, you know, that could be up in El Paso. I mean, he's – Athletic, he had been in the top 30 of the Brewer system. He's a nice little additional piece and pretty much what largely was you know, kind of a salary dump or just making room so they could get Jorge Alfaro on the big league roster, though. So you could check out fan, uh, excuse me, madfriars.com. We're, we're talking to Jay Jaffe usually, sorry, <laughs> John. But you could check out madfriars.com. And I want to talk a little bit about these subscriptions. So if you uh, want to subscribe on a monthly basis and you're an El Paso Chihuahua fan, all you have to do is go to madfriars.com slash subscribe. You could subscribe for less than $5 a month or for a year $40, uh, and you get all uh, the premium content up there. Give us a little rundown of of what you get as a as a subscriber to Mad Friars. Well, you know, if you if you want to just check us out before you make a decision, as I said, the dailies are always free. The previews were free too. The only reason we do charge is cost money to fly out or stay at a hotel or drive uh, rental cars in the in these places. So that the content that we charge for is usually player interviews, uh, some of the interviews with uh, Padres brass. We charge on that. But it's about 50-50 on the content, and I think it's one of our writers said, you know, we asked for one day a month, you put the coffee down, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll make it beneficial for you. Okay, good stuff there, John. Hey, uh, want to la- want to close out with your review of Kiki's? Uh, this is asked by one of our Twitter followers. Uh, this is a Esteban on Twitter who said, "Hurry up and get to Kiki's." He wants to know what you thought of that place, and same with me. What what was your full rundown of Kiki's when you uh, hit up the nine one five, John? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I, I, I took Aaron Sanchez's advice and got the Machaca plate. As someone who's 
from San Diego who lives on the East Coast, I mean, you have no idea how bad Mexican food is on the East Coast. So El Paso is one of the best places to go. And the best thing about El Paso is, uh, you know, I'll throw a little shade at San Antonio. There's not as much Tex-Mex in El Paso. It's Mexican food. And it is, I always joke, if I come out of El Paso and I only gain five pounds after four days, you know, that's a win. So uh, the machaca plate was outstanding. L&J's, I love going there. The, the food at the ballpark is really good, too. The Juarez dog was outstanding. And I think last time I was on, we talked about Crave Kitchen. So El Paso has some really good food options. So I'm uh, I'm always happy to go to El Paso for so many reasons. I got a good one for when you come back to the 915. It's Taco Neta. That's a it's a pretty solid place right next to the or right near the ballpark, I should say, and uh, very good authentic oh, me- Mexican food. All right, John. When you come back, I promise uh, we will let you know and we'll give you that name if you forget. But it's called Taco Neta, and uh, yeah, you got to make a trip when you come back to El Paso. When are you going to make the trip? Do you do you have a date planned yet? I have the first two dates. I'm going to uh, Fort Wayne at the end of the month. The guys make me go there because it's cold. And I don't want to go there. <laughs> then I uh, go into Lake Elsinore. I'll see Big James Wood. And hopefully around June or July, I'll be out in El Paso and San Antonio. So I'm looking forward to that. Perfect. You can look forward to the 100-degree uh, weather and uh, the great Mexican food that we have to offer. Hey, John, thank you so much for all the time that you spent with us talking uh, Padre system and, and prospects here on the show. Again, check them out, madfriars.com. Check them out also on Twitter, at madfriars. John, really appreciate the time again. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Adrian. It was a pleasure. All right. No, the pleasure is all mine, John. Really appreciate it. We're going to take a time out right now. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. It's uh, Sports Talk right here on 600 ESPN El Paso.